0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bar of Ireland Human Rights Award. And this year, the chair of the Human Rights Committee, Joe O'Sullivan, will be presenting the award to Massey. Massey is the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. And asylum is the protection granted by a state to someone who has left their home country where they cannot expect or have their home country provide them with appropriate human rights. Some might say asylum seekers are seeking refuge. Refuge comes from the Latin word fugere, to escape. The word refuge as a noun has two different explanations or meanings. It is shelter or protection from danger and hardship, or it is a place, person or thing that offers protection and help. The right to asylum is guaranteed by Article 18 of the European Convention and Charter of Fundamental Rights. In Ireland, we have the Refugee Act of 1996. It's had some 26 amendments and alterations, but no new particular statute. In December of 2019, our Irish government introduced an amended protection program to expand the numbers allowed under the annual resettlement programme, aiming to increase those numbers by 50, a busload of people. So in 2020, the aim was to have 650 people, 2021, 700 people, 2022, 750 people. You must measure that against the global crisis that we are all facing. Ireland has obligations to refugees under the Geneva Convention and under its protocol of 1967. As a state, as a people, we purport to put that into effect under the Refugee Act of 1996. We as a state, we as a people, have promised to deal with applications speedily to provide social support to all asylum seekers. This is done through what our government describes as direct provision and dispersal arrangements. So asylum seekers do not receive full social service. Asylum seekers, for example, do not receive rent allowance. Asylum seekers, for example, do not receive child benefit. Direct provision is what awaits you if you have been lucky enough and fortunate enough To escape the tyranny or inhumane treatment in your own country, to arrive here to refuge that is described as direct provision, our humane provision of support and shelter. I doubt that. You receive a weekly payment of less than 40 euro per week to survive upon. You are provided with food that is chosen for you. Your life is literally dictated for you whilst you await the processing of your application. So having been stripped of human rights and dignity in your own country, whilst you are escaping, seeking refuge, you land on our shores to be faced with direct provision. We do some for asylum seekers, but I would ask you against that backdrop and considering what is going on throughout the world, is it enough? Is it sufficient? Is it what you would consider shelter? What you would consider support? What you would consider protection if it was you in the shoes of that person? We have to look to the English Channel some 800 kilometers away yesterday. 27 people drowned trying to seek refuge, shelter, safety. 17 men, seven women, three children. Another humanitarian crisis in Europe, the Belarusian and Polish border. No one seems to care about the Geneva Convention on Human Rights or about the fact that an individual has the right to apply for asylum. People have been left starving and in freezing conditions on that border where they are being manipulated as political pawns. 13 people are dead over the last few days on that border, one of them a one-year-old child. Against this backdrop of inhuman treatment across the planet, we have to ask ourselves, are we doing enough? In my opinion, we are not. In fact, users of the asylum system in this country, MASI, members of MASI, organized themselves, organized themselves in a way that assists other asylum seekers has organized themselves in a way where they have brought legal challenges and judicial review against certain government orders, diktats, etc. This has resulted in some change, where asylum seekers are allowed to work whilst waiting for their application to be processed, but they are still faced with this direct provision. So it's in consideration of and in recognition of that very serious and very forward thinking work that has been undertaken by volunteers, a volunteer organization of persons who were asylum seekers in this country, who organized themselves to fight for international human rights and Irish human rights. It's against that backdrop that we are delighted this year that the recipients of the Bar of Ireland Human Rights Award in recognition of the work that you have done even though there is a lot more to do, that you are the recipients this year of of our award. So thank you. Uh,
1: Thank you, Chair. Uh, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am Joseph O'Sullivan. I am Chair of the Human Rights Committee of the Bar Council of Ireland. And in conjunction with our Chair, I am delighted to welcome you to our ceremony to mark the award of our human rights award to the movement of asylum seekers in ireland massey and in that regard i would like to extend a very special and warm welcome to the four representatives of massey who are joining us today to lucky to donna to Bulinani, and to sharon you are all very welcome and we are delighted that you're able to join us today and delighted that you're in a position to accept the award as the representative body of an independent referral bar The Council of the Bar of Ireland is committed to the promotion of human rights and to the vindication of those rights through the rule of law. In seeking to give effect to this commitment, the Human Rights Committee often lends its public support to those involved in promoting human rights. For example, we often issue letters to authorities in other jurisdictions in support of our fellow lawyers in those jurisdictions who are encountering harassment and in some cases endangerment by reason of their professional work in combating human rights abuses. The most recent example of this is our statements of support for fellow lawyers in Afghanistan. We believe that such messages of solidarity are an important way of sending the word out to those in authority that the wider international community places a very high value on the meaningful and effective respect for human rights and will be vigilant as regards any violation of those rights. Through our human rights award, the of Ireland recognises a person or group who it believes has or have made a unique and meaningful contribution to the promotion of human rights. Human rights is of course, a very broad and far reaching concept. And this is illustrated by the variety of persons and groups who have received the award in previous years. For example, a number of years ago, the Irish Navy received the award in recognition of its work in rescuing migrants in the Mediterranean. Last year, Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization received the award in recognition of his work in promoting public health as a human right. In seeking to identify a suitable nominee for this year's award, the Human Rights Committee focused on the theme of equality, diversity, and inclusion. We did this for two reasons. Firstly, Equality, diversity and inclusion is becoming an increasingly important concept in our day-to-day lives. And in recognition of this, the Bar Council now has a dedicated equality and resilience committee, which seeks to make the Bar a more inclusive place for those working here. Secondly, campaigning in respect of racial injustice has been a significant global issue in the past year. Having regard to these themes, the Human Rights Committee considered the substantial work which has been done by groups involved with our new communities in Ireland. One such group is the Movement of Asylum Seekers of Ireland, Massey. Massey is a collective group comprised of people who are or have been in the direct provision system in Ireland. Its work commenced in 2014, following emerging public controversy in respect of the direct provision system, and since then it has worked to highlight issues of significant concern on the operation of the direct provision system as our chair has outlined. This advocacy by Massey has contributed to raising awareness amongst the general public of the many unacceptable elements of direct provision. Not least the scope of restrictions to which people were subjected to and the period of time during which they were subjected to those restrictions. Ultimately, through the work of Massey and others, it became apparent That the continuation of the direct provision system in Ireland would not be politically viable. This led to a commitment in the 2020 programme for government to end the direct provision system. It's encouraging to see that this commitment has been followed through on by the publication of a white paper ending direct provision which sets out a new plan for international protection which is based on human rights and equality. It is also worth noting that in this white paper Minister O'Gorman expressly acknowledges that the direct provision system has failed to respect the dignity and human rights of individuals involved in it. Allied to this, Massey has long advocated for a right to work for asylum seekers, and this right was recognised as being constitutionally protected in the Supreme Court's landmark decision in 2017 in NHV versus the Minister for Justice. It is therefore fair to say that there have been two important developments in human rights in this country to which Massey has contributed. Now withstanding these developments and these contributions, Massey continues its work in advocating for the dignity of all refugees, asylum seekers and migrants, with a particular emphasis on the right to education and the right to work. It is often tempting to believe that human rights failings don't occur currently in our modern country, but belong to the distant past or to faraway countries. However, as the experience of direct provision has taught us, the fact is that such failings can and do occur in our own country and in our own time. Massey, through its advocacy, has been instrumental in bringing the uncomfortable truth about these human rights failings occurring in our own country to the attention of the public. This has helped raise awareness of the serious problems caused by direct provision and ultimately contributed to positive developments in the area and a great positive development in human rights generally. This contribution is all the more noteworthy given that Massey is a grassroots-up organisation made up of people advocating for themselves and for their own communities. Such an approach can achieve real results in the promotion and vindication of human rights. Having regard to this, and in recognition of this great contribution, we are delighted to nominate Massey as the recipient of this year's Bar of Ireland Human Rights Award, which is just beside me here. And I would now ask the four representatives of Massey to come up uh, and I will have the great honor and pleasure of awarding the award to them.
2: So, thank you, Nat.
1: I'm um, lucky. Okay, I, I I give it to the nominated person to receive the award. So, congratulations and many thanks. Thank
0: you,
2: uh, thank you uh, Joe, and. Uh, Uh, On behalf of PASSE, we do accept this award and uh, we are grateful for the recognition, uh, for the work that we have done for all these years. We'd like to thank the bar uh, for thinking about us. Also to just place a challenge that uh, we need the baristas as activists so that we can fight together to dismantle this gruesome system called direct provision. Our speaker uh, Buliran will be doing the speech. Okay. On behalf of Massey.
1: Thank you very much. Okay. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Very much.
1: speak for Massey, yeah. and we can all. The rest us can then return to our seats.
2: Thank you uh, very much uh, Chairperson of the Bar Council and Chairperson of the Human Rights Committee of the Bar Council, um, uh, and thank you for joining us tonight and uh, for the award. Um, uh, when Massey was formed in, back in 2014, um, I'm sure none of the founders, two of them are actually here today, Donna and Lucky, um, uh, none of them thought uh, uh, were thinking about any awards when uh, they were uh, uh, forming Massey. They are campaigning for uh, an end to the system of direct provision driven uh, by the, the, their own experiences of having uh, lived in direct provision uh, for weeks and weeks. Massey, um, uh, uh, the asylum seekers back in 2014 in Kinsale Road Direct Provision Centre in Cork had been meeting, deliberating and organizing to take collective action against the, the unjust treatment in the direct provision system. Back then asylum seekers had no right to work at all. Um, uh, the government expected people in direct provision to go through a prison as a routine of eating, sleeping, uh, showering, and playing. Um, and you repeat that every single day of your life. Uh, parents in direct provision had to raise their children um, in state-sponsored poverty when they were given only a weekly allowance of 19 euro 10 cents per week. Um, and that allowance remained the same for about 15 years um, uh, unchanged. People who had suffered deeply traumatic experiences in their home countries grew tired of the indignity of having to queue um, uh, in a canteen every single day of their lives for some more than Um, 10 years. Their personal autonomy, uh, being able to decide very small everyday things uh, was being chipped away. Grown-ups were required to register their presence daily um, and report their absences to private operators of provision centers. Security cameras are everywhere in direct provision, um, and staff were allowed to enter bedrooms unannounced, with no regard for the privacy and the dignity of the people who live in direct provision centers. Government defended these rules. Instead of defending and promoting the enjoyment of fundamental human rights, the government actually sanctioned abuse of vulnerable asylum seekers um, in the direct provision system. Even children in direct provision have likened the system of direct provision to prison uh, because they feel confined. As soon as the bus takes them back from school, that's it, that's the end of the day for them. They have nothing else to do. And when a mother challenged the government uh, on the abuse in direct provision in pre-litigation letters uh, back in 2011, the Irish government told her that she was always free to live if she, if she found the conditions in direct provision so intolerable this was in, uh, 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 leading to the case uh, of ca versus the minister uh, for justice and equality when the system of direct provision was challenged under article 3 um, uh, of the eu convention but also article uh, 8 of the eu convention the court now ruled that there was no breach of article uh, uh, 3 but it did find that the operation of direct provision centre breached article 8 and there was no apology or reparations from the irish government uh, towards asylum seekers, who, thousands of asylum seekers who had been stripped um, of their right to private family life in the direct provision system. People were tired of being ignored. More than half of people in direct provision back then had spent about five years, uh, more than five years, uh, 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 when asylum seekers started protesting in 2014. What is more frustrating is that government created a situation now where a person who arrived here six months ago is allowed to work but a person who has been in direct provision for five years going through the appeals, a long and protracted appeals process and judicial review process is not allowed to work. They are both asylum seekers. They're still staying in direct provision, primarily because they're excluded in terms of the operation of the uh, the, the right to work uh, in compliance to uh, the Supreme Court judgment. Society would benefit immensely if asylum seekers uh, were all asylum seekers in direct provision were allowed to work. Mercy exists today, because of the horrendous experiences of life in direct provision that propelled asylum seekers to take collective action. Um, And it is a a great honor for us to accept the award today in recognition of that. Our past experiences of being subjected to the whims of civil servants and operators of direct provision centers with no legal recourse tells us that we need legislation to to, to provide for the protection of rights of people in direct provision. What is proposed now in the White Paper unfortunately does not give us that protection. Um, If you, for instance, um, and your landlord, you are renting and you have a landlord and your landlord wants to evict you, you have the the residential tenancies board that governs how that should unfold. Think of it what you like, but it is there to protect the tenant and the landlord. Asylum seekers have no such protection. With a stroke of a pen by a civil servant, an asylum seeker can be moved from Cork to Leather from Tipperary, to Sligo with no say on the matter, as if you were livestock being shipped from one farm to the na- to the next. The government's plans on the white, in the white paper do not address that at all. They envisage a continuation of that system. The absence of statutory provisions for the operation of direct provision, it, it's what, it is what facilitated the abuse of asylum seekers with operators putting as many as eight asylum seekers in one bedroom uh, before the pandemic to maximize profit. In 2016, when an asylum-seeking medical woman doctor was kicked out of a direct provision center into the street, she had no legal recourse. She was left out. She had no way to challenge that decision. Even if she wanted to challenge that decision in court, Ireland does not provide legal aid for asylum seekers to take judicial reviews. The only legal aid that is provided, it's only at the International Protection uh, Office and in the International Protection Appeals Tribunal. Beyond that, you cannot go to the courts with the assistance of the Irish state. It is for that reason, um, uh, 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 that refusal of the government's refusal to legislate for an end to direct provision and make their commitments in the white paper legally binding that worries us today because Irish history tells us that whenever the state abdicated its responsibility to care for people who did not fit the mold, they were subjected to abuse. And the state facilitated that abuse because the state is always there, whether passively or actively, wherever there are human rights abuses, the state is there. It exists as an institution to protect people and to protect property. The Irish state was there when people were abused in industrial schools in Ireland. The Irish state was there when women were abused in the Magdalene laundries. The Irish state was there when women were abused in the mother uh, and baby homes. Likewise, it's the same state that presides over direct provision, uh, 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 that presided over direct provision when a woman manager walked into the men's communal showers in North Direct Provision Centre. No regard, again, for privacy and dignity. The state was there when a mother in direct provision told the Irish courts that she had to sell sexual favors in order to support his child while living in direct provision. The Irish state was there when Massey got a call about a child who was sexually assaulted in direct provision. The Irish state was there when Massey got a call from the Gardaí who had stopped an asylum seeker from taking their own life after spending more than a decade in the direct provision system. Whatever horrors we have seen through in the direct provision system, the Irish state was there doling out millions of public money to private companies who run direct provision centers. Our fear is that such horrors will continue if there are no legal protections enacted through legislation and an independent body that actually scrutinizes executive conduct in that regard. The government refuses to, to legislate for timeframes, processing asylum claims in other EU jurisdictions who are, are, are required by the EU direct, the, the EU procedures directive. They are required to issue an asylum decision within the first six months. There's no such legal, legal requirement in Ireland. We need legislation in that regard. The government also refuses to let all asylum seekers work. If they are not allowed to work, even in the West Inn hotel in West Morland, it would feel like an open prison when you're stuck there. The government also refuses to legislate for standards for, interpre- for interpreters and translators. And at home, Dick and Harry who says they speak a language can go and work as an interpreter, and interpret um, uh, 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 for a person who may well be uh, sent to their death if the decision is negative. More disturbing is the, is the government refusal to provide legal aid for asylum seekers to challenge decisions from the International Protection Office and the International Protection Appeals uh, Tribunal in the High Court. The Geneva Convention actually requires that legal aid be provided to people claiming asylum, and Ireland is in breach of that article. A process that, fa- that is further made difficult by the short period of time within which migration related decisions can be challenged in the high court. No other area of law do you have uh, 28 days to submit um, uh, an notice in the courts if you want to take judicial review. It's only on migration related issues. And yet we proudly claim that we are all equal before the law. I think not. Until we live in a fair, and just society, where situations such as in the institutionalized living, parents attempting to raise children in state-sponsored poverty are eradicated. Fundamental human rights are upheld, regardless of your nationality, your race, your ethnicity, your gender, we will continue to fight tirelessly, resiliently. And this award is testament to the courage and strength and resilience and the will to live, despite all odds, that has been displayed by asylum seekers who have been part of the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. And I want to thank the Bar Council uh, for that recognition. Thank you very much.
1: Hi, thank you very much. And just for the people, for ourselves, or the people speaking, I'd just like to ask you a few questions about Massey's current work and, and, and what you're doing and, and, and the state of direct provision generally in Ireland. Can you say at the moment how many people are in direct provision? Do you have any idea how many are in direct provision?
2: There are roughly uh, uh, 8,000 asylum seekers in the direct provision system. Um, uh, When we say in the direct provision system, we include people who are in the emergency direct provision centres. Those would be commercial hotels because when direct provision centres were at full capacity, the state uh, was caught up. They had no uh, uh, other way um, except to rent hotels, um, uh, uh, commercial hotels. And they actually cost more than the ordinary direct provision centres because they charge commercial rates. And there would be about 2,000 children
1: Two thousand children, that's a lot. And just with uh, children, I know that Massey has been very, uh, very vocal in the whole area of right to education, including um, third level is an important aspect of education. What sort of barriers are there for people in direct provision if they can be in a position to move on to third education? third-level education, from moving on to third-level education.
2: Historically, Ireland has always refused to provide financial support for asylum-seeking children to pursue third-level education. So they could study primary education and secondary school education. And as soon as they complete their living set, children had no way of continuing their education. It took the Irish government several years to even abolish fees in the FE colleges in the, uh, where people could do the QQI qualifications, i qualifications or be mainly short courses. And they, they've proved uh, invaluable to uh, asylum seekers, particularly who work on the front lines as healthcare assistance, because that's where uh, in the FE colleges where people study those courses. And uh, historically, asylum seekers were excluded. Uh, last day it was announced that they will abolish uh, uh, uh fees uh, uh for that. And so asylum seekers could pursue uh, uh, uh FE uh, uh, education, uh but not university degree education. You have to wait for about three years uh before you can uh, pursue. Uh, third level education. So if you want to enroll for a bachelor's degree, uh, you would have to wait for about three years in the asylum system. And that's said for children who go through um, a living set, because they will in- inevitably have to sit and wait and watch their Irish friends go through school.
1: So was the case that I mean, a lot of uh, children in uh, direct provision at that stage would then move on to the qualification stage and foregone third level education?
2: Yeah. they they, they would have been left out. Um, uh, They would have mainly been dependent on scholarships. Um, Universities over the years uh, started introducing uh, sanctuary scholarships, but even those would only offer a a small number of people. Master did a survey actually uh, last year, First year on. Yeah. Uh, last year, we did a survey on uh, access to federal education, uh, about 200 asylum seekers re- uh, about educational aspirations and about 200 asylum seekers responded um, uh, with varying, uh, many people were already qualified in their countries and wanted to continue further with their education um, uh, through all levels from uh, 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 level five up to PhD. We had seven asylum seekers who wanted to pursue a PhD studies in Ireland because they had uh, completed masters in their countries and they couldn't because of the financial barriers that are most.
1: The last question in terms of your work in, in for the next year or so, you've spoken about the white paper and the change that I like see in that. What are your priorities for the coming year? What are Massey's priorities for the coming year?
2: Certainly ensuring that the uh, the government keeps uh, its commitment to end the system of direct provision. We would love to wake up one day in Ireland uh, to see that all the direct provision sectors are closed and asylum seekers are integrated into Irish society. Uh, but also we want to see all asylum seekers who are in direct provision, uh, who wish to pursue education, being given that opportunity and supports to be able to do that because it makes no sense to keep a person in direct provision being idle uh, when they could be contributing to Ireland are actually willing and able to uh, uh, contribute to Irish society. And so education, access to education oh. remains the focus last year. we provided financial support to about only 26 asylum seekers Mm -hmm. but it proved invaluable to them and we provided over 200 uh, laptops, new laptops for asylum seekers uh, to continue their education. If you add the laptops that were provided with our uh, our allies such as the Amnesty International, Bohemian football clubs and ordinary Irish people that takes it up to over 300 new laptops that were provided. Because when everybody went into lockdown um, and people were uh, told to study online, Asylum seekers who were studying in direct provision were left out. They were not provided with any support. And so we were able to uh, mobilize the resources to ensure that people uh, pursue that education. And that will remain uh, a focus, uh, access to education will remain a focus uh, area, but also the right to work because there are still people in direct provision who aren't allowed to work. There was a recommendation from the Catherine Day Advisory Group that all asylum seekers who have been in the state for a period of at least three months should be given access to the labor market and that's still not being implemented. And so we will continue uh, advocating for those particular issues. But also there was a recommendation again that people should be given uh, status, people who have been in direct provision for um, uh, actually before the pandemic should be given status to stay in the country. Um, uh, And that recommendation has, the, the Department of Justice hasn't, Spoken out and said there will be an international competition and we will be pushing for that.
1: Okay. Okay, well, that's all very interesting. And uh, thank you very much for, for providing us with that information. All remains for me to do is, on, on behalf of I'm sure everybody watching and on the Bar Council generally, is, is, is to congratulate you on your work and to wish you all the best in your reins for the next year. And thank you very much and congratulations again. Thank you. brings our award ceremony to conclusion. Thank you very much for watching and have a good evening. Thank you.